Take your copy of the scriptures and turn, if you would, to the book of Psalms, Psalm 132, will be the text for the message this morning, Psalm 132. Before we hear from the Lord, let's go to him again in prayer and ask for his blessing upon the reading and the hearing and indeed the preaching of his word. Let's pray one more time. Our gracious Father, uh, you are the one who has spoken, as we have heard in various times and various ways to your people in the past. Uh, but in these last days, you've done so in your son, the incarnate word. And so we pray that you will open the mouth of your servant to proclaim that word the power of the Spirit, and we pray that the same Spirit would open the hearts of its hearers here assembled this morning, that they would receive your holy gospel and write on their hearts your holy laws, even as you have promised to do. Grant, we pray, Lord, that we may hear and read and learn and inwardly digest this word, that through the comfort of that same word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his mighty name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. That was unfelicitous. I apologize for that. That's awful. That's it's hot. Trying to get a little air. Um... Please give your attention now. This is uh, one of our songs of ascent that we have been going through and preaching, uh, hearing a series of messages from these songs, um, songs of ascent, Psalm 132. Uh, please give your full attention. This is God's word. <clears throat> Song of ascent. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into <clears throat> or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in a phrathah, we found it in fields of jar. Let us go to his dwelling place and let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let the priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant, David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath which you will not turn back. One of your son, one of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. If your son keeps my commandment and my testimonies, that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. 
and there I will make a horn to sprout from David. I prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. So for the reading of God's <clears throat> word, may he indeed add his blessing to it. Well, as I said, we continue in the Pilgrim's Songbook, uh, the Song of Ascents, the songbook within the Psalms uh, for the pilgrims of God on their ascent on their way to Jerusalem. Psalms 120 through 134, 120 to 134, these 15 Psalms. Uh, we selected several throughout. Um, we are at 132 uh, this morning. Um, again, remember this group of Psalms will be used as God's people made that journey to Jerusalem for each of those three uh, annual feasts, right? That they were required, they were mandated that the males attend these feasts at Jerusalem, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they would go, sometimes in large groups, in caravans, with families and friends, would gather together and go up to Jerusalem. And they would sing as they went. They would sing these songs. Uh, and these were times of excitement and times of joy coming together as God's people. And as they got closer to Mount Zion, there was anticipation, remember, in praising. And they would sing these songs as they went up, ascended to the city of God. Uh, we're also, our, our psalm this morning, Psalm 132, is the longest of these songs of ascent. It's the longest. Usually they are rather short. But this one is long. And it's unique as well because it is a prayer for the king of Israel. And most of the songs of ascent were what, you recall? They were used, they were sung as they would approach the city of God. And they were full of praising and joy. And we saw last week in Psalm 130, we saw that there, that is a song of repentance. One of those penitential songs. And the pilgrims would be thinking, they would begin thinking as they went. And seeing the temple, that is the holy place, right? It's the holy place. It's a picture of God's holiness. It was a place where the people would confess their sins. Where they, were, they would receive atonement. But we come to Psalm 132, and it is a prayer for the king. It's a prayer for the king. Uh, remember Jerusalem, it was the city of David, right? Though he's born in Bethlehem, it's the city of David, even as Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But he lived in Jerusalem as king, King David. Jerusalem was the capital. It was the home to Mount Zion, it was the home of the temple, uh, and it was also where the king lived. And so the pilgrims would go, and they're ascending to Jerusalem, and they would lift up their song as a prayer for the king. The date of this psalm is probably around the time of Solomon. Um, Solomon's reign, right, with uh, the Israelites prayed uh, when they sang this song. Originally, it was likely to King Solomon. Uh, but certainly after Solomon, the pilgrims would also... Uh, as they journeyed to Jerusalem, they would pray for that king, whomever that might be, as they went for these feasts. Um, and we know how things uh, in the history of Israel, uh, uh, the history of God's people, we know how they deteriorated and the kingdom splits into two. And felt they both fall apart and ultimately both are exiled. Right? They're exiled from the land. Uh, well, nevertheless, we need, we, 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 the psalm was used for centuries after Solomon and indeed, it's still used by the people of God today, even as we are here as God's people, 
uh, and we are examining this Psalm, Psalm 132. Uh, it's different for us though, right? It's different for us. We don't go up, we don't go on pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year for those feasts. Why is that? It's because all those feasts have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They've been fulfilled in Christ. We don't ascend to a physical location, to an earthly, physical, temporal location. And that's because the new Jerusalem is stretches out, it's spread across the whole of the earth. God's people are everywhere. But we are making our trip to New Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. And that will be ultimately wrapped up, completed, uh, concluded, consummated at the return of Christ. And for you and I, people of God, we are journeying up to that final and full promised land, uh, promised uh, what everything pointed to. Um, and by the way, God has also promised to keep us until that day. Right? He's promised to keep us as well as our inheritance. And if you dear friend, belong to Jesus. If you've trusted in him for all of your life, for this life and the next, he will infallibly keep you for that promised land that is kept for you. Right? First Peter 1 tells us it is guarded, it is kept for you. If you do not yet belong to Jesus, you have not received his forgiveness and blessing and mercy and life, I plead with you to do so even now, even now. Will in no way cast you out. Uh, and as his word works on you and it works in you, flee to him for mercy and forgiveness and taste of the refreshing waters of salvation. That is his promise to you. Uh, so we look at Psalm 132 and we look at the structure of it and the flow and it has the form of an intercession, a prayer, as we said, for the king. <clears throat> but at its core, it is giving praise for God's faithfulness. We'll look at that in a moment. It's, it's giving praise for the faithfulness of the Lord, for his covenant faithfulness in accomplishing the oath that he swore to David. And as we have come again now to this second week back, praise God, we're delighted to be here and able to worship corporately as his people. Uh, we delight to give him praise. Um, we come again to church with maybe a heightened sense of anticipation and joy and the blessing for what worship is. We come again and we remember in all that we do, in the coming of the Savior into the world, in his suffering and his death on the cross, and in his resurrection, we must always remember and see God's faithfulness, his faithfulness to his people. And we'll see in our psalm today <clears throat> that indeed God has fulfilled his oath, the oath that he swore. Uh, that he made to David. And you know, the people in the Old Covenant, uh, they would sing the psalm, singing for the king. We here today, we sing this psalm in praise that God has, has sent his king, the greater king, of course, is Jesus Christ. Uh, so notice first, as we look at this psalm, that uh, it speaks of both God's oath and David's oath. God's oath and David's oath. Uh, look at verse 1. It says, remember, O Yahweh, remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships that he endured. Right? You see that opening word there, word it opens with. It says, it's an imperative. It says, uh, remember, 
And this is a significant word. It's a, um, it's a, it has meaning beyond what we would think on the surface le uh, level, right? Whenever we read this, remember, Lord, in the Psalms or in the Old Testament in general, it doesn't mean that we're asking God not to forget some piece of data, right? We're, uh, or that we're asking him to recall certain information. What it means, remember, O Lord, it's an appeal to, it's a call for God to act according to his covenantal promises, those things which he has already promised. And the people of God add, appeal to God, remember what you swore. Right? And so when you read your Bible, notice how this is used. Um, <clears throat> you think of uh, in Exodus, um, in Exodus, as it begins, uh, I believe in the second chapter, it talks about, it says that God remembered what? Remember, he looked upon, he heard the condition of his people, the treatment of his people. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He remembered his promise. He remembered the covenant that he made. So this is remember, O Lord. It's a request for God to remain faithful to his covenant. Uh, and even though God promises to do something uh, and that he is all-powerful, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't ask him to do that very thing that he's promised, right? Often uh, together as a church and even privately, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. He's promised that his kingdom will come. And still we pray that he would bring that promise to pass. Uh, we grow in our knowledge of his promise. We trust him and we pray that he will bring about that which he has promised to do. We trust that he will do so. Uh, and so see the oath that he made to the Lord um, as we move on. The, the oath that he made, it says, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships that he endured. He swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Right? So this is no small thing what David is doing. It is no small thing taking an oath to the Lord. Right? Notice the words there that he uses. These, uh, uh, these words, he says, he swore, he vowed. Right? That's describing something. It's describing an oath that David took. And what's the reference to? Well, it's a reference regarding the dwelling place of the Lord. Right? It's about the dwelling place of of the Lord. We read about this in 2 Samuel. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 6. David does this. He goes after the Ark of the Covenant, remember. And we see this in reference in our psalm in verses 6 to 8. Right? Notice the, the, the pronouns. Behold, we heard of it in the Fratha. Right? We, we heard of it. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord. And go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Right? But those vows, those words, vows and swore, those are oath words. Those are covenant words. And we've all seen oaths take place in our own lives uh, or in film, if not in real life. This idea of people taking oaths somewhere for some reason. Um, we think of the two parties, right? The promiser and the one being promised. And they are brought together into a covenant relationship. Again, we see this in uh, perhaps the most common uh, arena is in the courtroom, right? When people take oaths, 
uh, before that begins, or when the, uh, persons who go into military service, they take an oath of enlistment or political office, right? They take oaths. Well, most eminently and significant for my family right now is the marriage ceremony, right? The marriage ceremony. If you've not been in one, you've probably been to one. Surely you've seen one, right? The bride, the bride and the groom, they make oaths to each other before God and many witnesses, right? And at the end of this, they are now in a real relationship. It's not a pretend relationship. It's not uh, without commitments. There's commitment and obligation. Uh, and it becomes a covenant relationship when vows are made and the promises are given, this undying loyalty to one another in the presence of God and many witnesses. Um, and of course, in marriage, we call upon God to solemnize that ceremony, that covenant rather. So an oath is no small thing. It's a big deal. Uh, the other part of the oath are the consequences, right? The ramifications, stipulations, if you will, the sanctions. Um, if those oaths are broken, there are ramifications for breaking that oath, consequences, right? In ancient times, people would say, may I be cursed if I fail to keep my promise, if I fail to keep my oath, may I be cursed? Uh, we see this. Uh, perhaps most memorably in Genesis 15 in scriptures, remember. They would cut animals uh, in two as symbols of what would happen to you if you failed to keep that promise. And quite uh, astoundingly, in that instance, in Genesis 15, uh, in the Abrahamic covenant, God is the one swearing that he'll be cut in pieces if he fails to keep his promise. God takes the oath on, oath on himself. Of course, he never does nor can fail to keep those promises. Uh, but David made this co some covenant before the Lord. He made his oath before God. And we know that he wanted to build a temple for God. He wanted to build the house of the Lord. We know that he did bring the ark uh, to the city of God. He did bring it. Uh, but Psalm 132 here recalls this oath that David swore to the Lord and he vowed to the mighty one, of Jacob, right? That's another title for God himself. Uh, you see the parallel in that phrase. Swore to the Lord, vowed to the mighty one of Israel, mighty one of Jacob. And they're saying what? They're saying, remember David who brought the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 8, arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the Ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed. And that's the king. And so this caravan goes up, it's going up, up to Jerusalem, and it, and it sings prayers for the king. Remember righteous David and his faithfulness. He was the king after God's own heart, remember. And when we read, it's interesting, when we read of other kings in the Old Testament, and when they are compared to King David, which they often are, they usually get a bad report, right? We've, this is a refrain we hear. So-and-so didn't walk in the footsteps of their father. They did. So-and-so did evil before the eyes of their Lord. The people of God are singing, we need peace. We need peace, O Lord. Remember for, the, for his sake, O Lord. Call on your priests, your saints, shout for joy. 
And then there's that turn in the psalm. This is the turn from verse 11 onward. The focus moves from David's faithfulness to what the Lord has done. The faithfulness of the Lord for his people. Now look at verse 11. Verse 11. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. What's this about? He swore to David a sure oath, which you will not turn back. What is the sure oath? Well, we keep reading and we have the, um, the help of the quotation marks there uh, in the rest of the verse. Um, it says, one of your sons, one of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my commandment and my testimonies, then I shall teach them. Their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. Right? So you see what's going on there. There's a reference to that, uh, what he swore, that sure oath. And then it tells us what it was. Right? That's a covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. It's a definitive covenant. We see this in 2 Samuel 7. That's why we read it for our Old Testament reading. David wants to build, wants to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord says, wait a minute. In verse 5. Would you build me a house to dwell in? Right? God says no to David. He goes on. Thus says the Lord of hosts. I took you from the pasture. From following sheep, that you should be prince over my people's Israel. I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all enemies before you. And I will make for you a great name, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be dis disturbed no more. Right? And then he says this this is significant. And I will give you rest from your enemies, David. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, right? No, David, you're not going to make me a house. I will make you a house. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity... I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's the covenant God makes. It's the definitive covenant. You see how glorious that is? You see how glorious that is? These aren't the words of fickle man, of feeble man, of forgetful man, of foolish man. The words of powerful Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God, the creator of the universe. He's promising to do all of these things. It depends on him. It's established in him. It's founded upon him. And notice the warning there too in the middle of all this. I don't know if you caught that. There's a warning. It says if the king fails to keep covenant, if he is unfaithful, then the kingdom will not last. And what happened? What happened to the kingdom? Well, the pilgrims long after Solomon, long after his time, they knew that other kings came along. And again, what were those kings like? They didn't fare very well. Surely the golden age of the Solomonic kingdom of Israel's kingdom was the Solomonic age. And it was a brilliant picture of God remembering, fulfilling his promise. 
Remember what that promise was. It was the Abrahamic promise. Right? God's remembering that. The promise of innumerable people and of lands and riches and blessing. Vast peoples, nations, seed, vast place, and vast pagans, right? All kinds of people, outsiders coming in. And it seemed as though that was the culmination of God's promise, of his promises. But Solomon, you know what happened to Solomon. He turned from the Lord after a time. He failed to be faithful. He did not keep my covenant, my testimonies, and then teach them. So what happened? The kingdom was divided, as I mentioned. An, un, an unfaithful king followed an unfaithful king followed more unfaithful kings, even unto exile. And our pilgrims were singing those songs even during the wickedness and the breaking down of Israel. Imagine all this going, going on in the background of the minds as they went in the mixture of feelings and praise and concern and worry and all the rest. They say, oh Lord, remember for King David's sake. He was your chosen king. Remember your oath and have mercy on us. And as they pray, notice the remainder of the psalm. Uh, it responds to questions raised earlier, to issues raised earlier. There's this kind of call this antiphonal call and response uh, back to earlier parts in the psalm, right? Notice the connectivity. Notice the connection here. Again, verse 7. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. And then verse 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. Verse 8. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place. You and the ark of your might. And this is answered by, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Verse 9. Let the priest be clothed with righteousness. And let your saints shout for joy. In verses 15 and 16, her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. Verse 10, for the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. And then verse 17 answers that. There I will make a horn sprout from David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him, his crown will shine. Beautiful verse. Beautiful culmination of this psalm. And they prayed, and they lifted voice, and they lifted their hearts to the Lord. And they are truly looking past and beyond the present king. Because as we mentioned, the present king wasn't all that much. They looked and they longed for a greater king, a king that would be great indeed, the Messiah himself. And they longed and they looked for the one who would come and bring ultimately the blessing. Well, brothers and sisters, when was all of this, right? We see the different horizons. Right? We see the different trajectories. We see the different layers of this. When were these words accomplished and fulfilled? The people of God on journey sang these words 
looking for their fulfillment. Yet in their lives, they did not see that ultimate fulfillment. Even the golden age, the Solomonic kingdom, and all that happened, all the people, all the animals, all the sacrifices, all the riches, it didn't last. That wasn't the ultimate thing. Yet it also pictured, pointed to what that thing would be. It's because, dear Christian, Psalm 132 finds its ultimate fulfillment in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And this should be our instinct as we read scripture. We should see these connections. Right here how it goes. Jesus is the descendant of David. He is the son who sits on the throne forever. He is the son who does not fail. He is the son who is not disobedient. He is the sprout of David. He is the one who who's clothed us with righteousness and salvation. He is the one who caused causes the saints to shout for joy. Joy. He is the perfect and complete fulfillment of this pilgrim's prayer. Our Father, brothers and sisters, has remembered His covenant promises. He has remembered. God rejected many kings of Israel, but He did not reject His anointed one. And we praise our great, gracious Father. What were his words to that king? What were his words to his son upon entering into our world? Do you remember what he said? He said, this is my beloved son. In him, I am well pleased. And for you, his people, for you to know, for it to be true of you, all that the psalm describes, clothed in his righteousness, joy shouting saints, secure with the Father. For any of this to be, it necessitated what? It necessitated, it was required that the very one who had perfect love with the Father, the one who pleased the Father, it required that he be forsaken and rejected by the Father. And in taking the full cup of the Father's wrath for our sins, being punished in our place, our sins laid upon him, and then being raised from death to life, and on the third day ascended into glory. In all of that, because of that king's word, we have bold access to the Father. Unfettered, unrestricted, uninhibited, fearless. Listen to Hebrews 10, starting at verse 19. Describes this glorious reality, this, 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 this wonderful and awesome reality for the people of God. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Is that the kind of cleansing that you need? Is that the kind of washing that's required of you? Oh, it is for me, brothers and sisters. I trust it is for you as well. And so we come. We come in communion and in fellowship and in boldness and worship and praise and delight. Isn't it overwhelming? The glory? It's beyond comprehension. It's awesome. The dwelling place of God is with man, not the Ark of the Covenants. That was a copy of the heavenly realities where Christ ministers. <clears throat> On our behalf, where Christ intercedes, where he mediates for us, our great high priest. The dwelling place is not the earthly temple, a physical building or court. It is the temple in heaven, glory itself. He became flesh, Christ. Christ fulfilled it all. It was all pictured, it all pictured Christ. He became flesh, and you remember, tabernacled with us made his dwelling with us. God, he is God with us. Emmanuel, remember. And then what are the rest for his people, right? The rest for his people. The peace, the rest, the shalom. Jesus gives rest and peace for his people. Not of the world peace or of the world rest. He gives true, ultimate, final rest. Rest so powerful it enables us to rejoice even here in all of our messes and losses and pains. Dear Christian, let us give praise. Let us give praise, brothers and sisters. Do these things not warm your heart? Oh, they should. should delight your soul, enliven your soul. Let us give praise. Let us give shouts of joy. Shouts for joy. He has visited and has saved his people. Eternal life is yours. And let us remember as well that he has conquered all of his and our enemies. Right? For he must reign. Let us delight and give praise even as we, uh, tomorrow as we return back into our pilgrim land, back from spiritual Mount Zion. Let us take that place, this place with us let us live it to others. Let us uh, let, let the truth of it move our lives before our neighbor. All the promises and all the types and all the pointers have come in Christ. He is the chosen greater king. And we will forever dwell with him in that eternal city. In that city, remember, there will be no temple. There will be no sun. For our king Jesus will be the temple and Christ the Lamb will be the light. So may you always, dear friend, remember and rejoice. Our God is faithful. He remembers. He always keeps his promises. And one day, one day, dear Christian, that final trump, trumpet will sound and he will raise you from the dead as well, even unto eternal life. Amen. Pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise, we give you our worship.
We are awed by the magnitude of your love. Lord, it is more than we can take at times. Oh, Lord, we pray, fill us up. Fill us up. Fill up our cup again and again and again. Change us, Lord, and we trust that you will do so. Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember, to believe what we have heard. Lord, we pray that you would help us to uh, indeed be overwhelmed with the reality of our union with Jesus, our King. Lord, help that to drive our lives, lives of gratitude. Father, we do pray that you would help us to be faithful in all things. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.